2: Presented
0: by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
3: Kaboom! If you thought four hours a day, 1,200 minutes a week was enough... and an exciting fifth hour with Ben Maller and Danny G Radio, a show that I have been looking forward to providing you. We talked about it on the overnight show this week, and here it is. You're going to hear the full, unedited version of a conversation we're going to have here in a few minutes with Omar Vizkel. I love having these baseball guys on the podcast. We've had a few of them on Over the years, but we can now add the name of Omar Vizquel. If you're not familiar, you should know who this guy is if you're a baseball fan, but one of the finest defensive shortstops that I've ever seen in my lifetime and in baseball history, and he retired over a decade ago. 2012 was his last season, but Vizquel played 24 years. He spanned four decades in Major League Baseball came up in 1989 and his name is constantly brought up in the Hall of Fame conversation. There's this great debate because of his defensive prowess, whether he should be in the Hall of Fame or not. We'll get into that at some point of uh, the pride of Venezuela. He retired as the all time hits king from Venezuela. He's been passed since then by Miguel Cabrera and he played for the Mariners, the Cleveland Indians, the team that he is most known for. But he also, at the end of his career, played for the Giants, the Texas Rangers, the White Sox, and the Blue Jays. But he won 11 gold gloves, had nine consecutive. For nine consecutive years, this guy was the top defensive shortstop, and it wasn't even up for debate from 1993 to 2001. In fact, now that we can look back at the – career of omar viskel his fielding percentage is tied for the highest all time i mean i'll give you the guy's whole resume here it's it's very impressive uh and he's also the all-time leader in double plays turned as a shortstop and he tied cal ripken's american league record for the most consecutive games without an error and he did that back in the late 90s uh, early 2000s there And uh, just all kinds of accolades for a shortstop. In fact, I I was reading that Omar has the third most hits all time among shortstops. He's number three behind uh, who? How about Derek Jeter and Honus Wagner, who most people these days, rightfully so, only know as a as a baseball card. Uh, But there's something else I wanted to bring up. We'll, We'll get into this with Omar at some point when he joins us here in a minute that Omar Vizquel is the modern-era leader in sacrifice hits and sacrifice flies. If you combine sacrifice hits and sacrifice flies, something that is not that big a part of the game these days as much as it was back when he played, but 350 combined sacrifice hits and sacrifice flies from Omar Vizquel. And to give you an idea, I was reading some of the nerd websites, and they keep track of everything. There is no other player in the modern era of baseball that has reached 300. He's at 350. The next highest, to give you an idea who's close, is the Wizard of Oz, Ozzie Smith. They went back and they tracked Ozzie Smith's career with the Cardinals and the Padres and all that. 277 sacrifice flies and sacrifice hits combined for Ozzie Smith. But Omar Vizquel, you talk about unbreakable records the fact that he played so long and the fact that the sacrifice hit is not something that is regularly part of the game these days. So certainly uh, that is, that is a record that will likely not be broken uh, in my lifetime. And uh, the way the game is going is going to be many, many generations before anyone even sniffs that record Mention all the gold gloves. He also won winning 11 gold gloves. He was the, oldest shortstop ever to win a gold glove. I mean, there's all kinds. He's got all kinds of records. If you're a baseball fan, which I assume you're listening to this podcast, you are, you you dig into some of the numbers for the player known as little O. And you're like, wow, like this guy, his name's on all these lists and accomplishments and amazing. The thing that I can't get over, though, and you think about baseball players, most of them last a couple of years in the big leagues if they're lucky get a cup of coffee, maybe they can get vested into the pension plan in baseball uh, if they play a certain number of years and all that. But to go as long as uh, Vizquel did here at shortstop, to break the record, he was the oldest player in Major League history to take the field as a shortstop. He broke a record that had been around for almost 100 years when he did that at the end of his career with the Blue Jays in 2012. Just, just an amazing, uh, amazing accomplishment uh, during his career and uh, I have a chance to catch up with him. So Omar Vizquel, he was the last active player. We said this earlier, last active player in any of the major North American professional sports leagues that played in the 1980s. He was the last one. We now welcome in to the fifth hour with Ben Maller and Danny G, the man we have just been buttering up here. The uh, shortstop, Omar Vizquel. So let's start with this, Omar. What was the secret to that amazing, amazing longevity?
2: Well, I think it was a hard dedication to stay in the gym and try to prove yourself every year that uh, you're fighting against yourself to get uh, in the best condition that you can get and make sure that you can uh, play 162 games. That was my ultimate goal. Obviously, the manager have all the ideas. They want to give you days off in between. They want to rest you in between. And obviously, when you're struggling, uh, they always want to give you a day off so you uh, refresh, that that you think about the things that you're doing wrong and all that. So, But for me, it was more like a, a pride to play for a long time. Uh, I, uh, I take pride of that because I was uh, – uh in the gym all the time I I like to run I still like to to uh do a lot of exercises and that was the
3: whole key about it now when when you started playing did you have an idea in your head how long you thought this would last because most major league careers as you know they don't last that long did you have an idea you're going to play a while or did this thing just keep you know every year you kept going and going because most people only last a few years in the big leagues what what was your plan when you started with the Mariners
2: Well, actually, you don't have a plan on how long you can play. I was really struggling in the beginning of my career, and I was afraid that I was going to be sent down to AAA. Uh, So that's what I took time uh, uh, for my preparation and everything because I wasn't quite sure that I was going to stay in the big league for too long. I was a short guy. I didn't have power. Uh, I started learning. I started switch hitting on my last year, of my minor league career. So when I make it to the big league, I was only switch hitting for a year. And that was a really, really big step that I did in order for me to learn how to hit left-handed and to get used to all the pitching in the big league. It was pretty tough. It was a tough process for me.
3: Now, when you you, you talked about how you, you wanted to play every day and you prided yourself on that. We are in the era now, Omar, in, in all of sports. Maybe not so much in baseball, but in football, well, in basketball, some of the other sports where load management is where you know players are supposed to rest a certain amount of time what do you think about the the new wave in sports with not playing every game taking days off to getting extra rest what compared to how you played back in your day
2: yeah i think um you know the evolution on every sport it has shown that if you take a rest, maybe you can perform in a higher level uh, sometime when they need you down the road in the playoff or in the World Series or or late uh, in during the season. So the numbers are showing that, and I think that's that's why a lot of uh, front offices and managers and coaches are trying to give your players a rest when they think that you're not performing 100%. So they, they, they rest your mind, they rest your body, and the next time that you come into the field, I think that you're more prepared to take the challenge and to go after everything that you have to go.
3: So this year they changed a lot. I and mean, this is a dramatic change in, in, in Major League Baseball with the pitch clock coming in here. Uh, what, do you, what do you think of that, Omar? You played your entire career, obviously, without it. It's brand new. What do you think about a clock being in baseball?
2: Well, I think it's affecting a lot of pitchers because they're not used to uh that kind of a quick quick release. Uh your body's not used to it, that uh, you used to take a long time in between pitches to think what is the next pitch that you're gonna throw and all that. But I I, I think that you have to really prepare uh your conditioning, uh, because it's it's a tough pace, it's very fast. Uh, The only good benefit and and things that I see is that you get more focused and you stay focused in a longer period of time. The same with the hitting. I I didn't like when pitchers take a long time because it made me think too much. I was one of those hitters that I like to get into a uh, rhythm. And uh, the quickest that they get into the mound, the better for me. And it works the same when you play the defense. In the defensive side, uh, you like the pitchers that work quick, that work fast and that also get you going and get your rhythm going
3: was there any pitcher back i mean you played a, a long time was there anyone in particular that took forever on the mound that you remember that you were here you in the you know in the in the batter's box there and it just kept going on and on the would step off the mound and is, uh, yeah,
2: there is. There, there were a lot of guys that uh, you know like to take the time and make sure that they they uh, get it right. Uh, usually, big guys, heavy guys, they like to pace themselves a little bit to stay longer in the mound. But uh, you know, uh, out of the top of my head, I I don't I can't recall anybody right now.
1: This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. join me on the dark side of sports by listening to playing dirty sports scandals on the iheart radio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
3: and uh, the the clock is here also we this has been the way for like 10 15 years in baseball now but analytics the the debate which continues is it, is it analytics which is just going by the raw numbers like how you bat versus you know certain situations versus the feel of the game and when you played, m- most of your career, I guess near the end of it, they switched over to analytics, more. But are you more of a feel-of-the-game guy, or do you side with the analytics side in baseball?
2: Well, I guess like if you want to stay in the game, you have to go with the analytics side and combine it with all the intuition that you have for the game. Uh, I think that can be the biggest key. I hear talking uh, managers about how much – The analytics and the numbers have influenced their decision to make uh, later on the game, and I think is uh, uh, the percentage. If the percentage is showing that you you got more than seventy percent that is gonna be right, then you can use that. But you also have to look at the game, look at your players, know your players, and use the intuition when you you when you smelling something that is going against the number. So I think that's the best way to describe it right now. A lot of people is going crazy because of the numbers. There has been managers uh, getting into trouble because of the numbers. The players don't like it too much because they think that they deserve their respect. Uh, but, but the players don't take a look at the numbers too much. They, they just want to go on the field and perform and they know the things that they have to do. And sometimes the numbers doesn't show it anymore.
3: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it it is. It's got to be a balance, I think. Right, Omar? A little bit of this, a little bit of that. You can't you can be all in in one direction. Now, as far as this season in baseball, the talk right now, we are not that far away from the trade deadline. Shohei Ohtani of the Angels has been remarkable on the mound and at the plate. He's looking like he's going to win the American League MVP again. He's also going to be a free agent at the end of the season. Omar, how much do you think he's going to get in a contract next season? Because he can not only obviously pitch, but but hit a bunch of home runs. Where, where do you think he ends up, and, and how much do you think he's going to get?
2: Well, you know that this is more, one of the most exciting players that we have in the last 50 years. Not only because he can hit the ball for power, that he can hit for average. He can also throw the ball and have low numbers in ERAs and, and uh, all the all the numbers that you can put in there. So I think it's gonna break the bank, man. Otani is gonna be one of those 500 million dollar players, and uh, he's gonna be the first one to reach that amount. And there is no doubt that it's gonna be few teams interesting on that. The fact that he he have the the Asian market of all the uh, 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 everybody love him out there, and uh, and, and all the international. Uh, 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 things, news that he can bring into a team is going to be amazing. So uh, I can't wait to see the negotiations and how many teams are going to jump into that.
3: How come you think no one has really been allowed to do that like Otani? Like when you were playing, there were probably guys you played with that could have tried pitching and hitting and and whatnot. How come they weren't allowed to do it for so long? What do you think the the mindset was behind that when you were playing?
2: Well, I think... Players uh, concentrate on play only one position, and uh, they don't they don't want to deal with the other side. It take a lot. It take away a lot from your body, and uh, uh, I think that's why. And, and, and the f- fact that that you can find many athletes that can do this kind of thing. It's like uh, Deion Sanders, guy like Bo Jackson that can play two sports. I mean, these guys have an amazing abilities. They come once in a lifetime, and we are. We have to be lucky to watch this guy because I don't remember the last time that you can see a baseball player that can pitch the way he does and they can hit the way he does and even run. I mean, this guy do- does it all.
3: Yeah, no, he's he's absolutely uh, amazing. We're hanging out talking with Omar Vizquel here, joining us on uh, the, the fifth hour. And so, Omar, you, you played for a bunch of teams, 24 seasons, you're most associated with the Cleveland Indians and uh, had had was part of those great teams in the '90s. Now, now they are called the Guardians. Uh, wh- what was your uh, what were your thought on on the name change there in Cleveland?
2: Yeah, it was a little sentimental thing going through my mind because obviously I played the good years there uh, when the Indians were called and uh, all the logos and all the uniforms and hats and pictures that we have with the other logo was one of the Uh, most exciting, exciting things that I remember. Uh, now changing the name, I guess, uh, there was a little, a little trouble with, uh, with the ownership and and the name. And, you know, there's one of the things that you you can't really say much about it. You don't have any, any, uh, uh, saying on, on that, but I obviously keep following the team. That team, uh, give me a lot of uh, satisfaction in my life, uh, I have one of my best years there with with that organization. There is still a lot of friends that are uh, tied up to the to the Guardians, and I always rooting for them. I mean, that's one of the teams that I always love watching.
3: And you're in their Hall of Fame, is is that right? You're in the, the franchise Hall of Fame. Uh, what, what was that like getting inducted into that?
2: Amazing, amazing! Just having that walk from center field. That's what they have there—the the little hall uh, there with the players that they put into the Hall of Fame, and then walking into the mound. And then having the opportunity to talk to the fans and saying some words, it was one of the most amazing uh, things that happened in baseball for me.
3: Now, I remember when you were playing uh, one of your your nickname, you were known for for the sacrifice uh, part of your game. The, I, I think one story has called you the sultan of of the sacrifice. And I think, <laughs> I think you have like the most sacrifices of anybody in the modern era of baseball. <laughs> but, but, but Omar, when you watch the game, it's very rare. That you will see someone do what you were so good at. What, what what do you think it's going to take to get that back more into the game of baseball, more regularly part of the game? Something that you were so good at. Well,
2: a lot of a lot of things. I'm I'm going back and trying to use the bond as one of the way to score some runs. Uh, you know, uh, I take a lot of pride on that because I was really good at bonding. I think that I uh, one of the best bunners in in my era. And uh, that probably sacrificed a lot of hits for me. I don't think that if I bumped so many times, I would have had 3,000 hits in the big leagues. So a lot of people told me that. But, you know, that's just just the way it goes. I was a team player and I wanted the team to win. And I sacrificed myself so the other guys can bring uh, the runs in. So, you know, that was the way that, that, that the game was played in those years.
3: Now let's go back to those uh, those Cleveland uh, Indians teams. There, you had several dominant teams. You guys were amazing in that period. Awesome offense. You you were the the Rocket shortstop. You had good pitching. What do you what do you think the the thing was that that caused those issues in the World Series? I was actually at the nineteen ninety seven World Series, Omar. I was covering it when you guys played the Marlins in that crazy Game Seven and all that. But what do you what do you think it was about that that team that you just you got right to the edge, but you couldn't get past the finish line?
2: Well, that's just the way baseball is. Uh, you know, sometimes you have the team, sometimes you don't have the team. It's just a matter of what team is playing better at that particular time. I think that we played really good. Uh, we went into the game seven, but we couldn't close the door. But, uh, you know, that's just baseball. We have an amazing team, uh, a balance everywhere. We have pitching, we have closers, we have relievers, power, average. We have just about a little bit of everything. They just, uh, you know, the Marlins play better baseball on that, on that year. And then we got beat by the Braves on 95, where they have small gloving, and uh and uh Maddox.
3: Maddox, yeah. Yeah, the three So
2: you know, those those are the those were the masters of pitching on the nineties and we run into that trouble there, but you know, so excited that we have the opportunity to be there and to share that that experience with your family and with the rest of your teammates.
3: Now, what are the other stories going on right now is the story out of Oakland and the athletics are starting the process to leave Oakland. Do you have any memories? Yes. Do you have any memories of playing games? I mean, the A's had some good teams when you were you were playing. Man,
2: I, I got the best memory. My first opening day when I make it to the big league was in Oakland. So that is that in the Coliseum. That was the first baseball field that I I see when I came up to the big leagues in '89. That was April third, nineteen eighty nine. You can look it up, and I have to face guys like Dave Stewart, Storm Davis, uh, Dennis Eckersley. And obviously they have uh, the the power batch guy. We can say my wire, Dave Parker, Ricky Henderson. That was the team that, that everybody liked to talk about. And the the fact that they put 50,000 people on those seats was amazing. I know that uh, Oakland was wild. That was crazy for baseball. The things that you see in Oakland, you didn't see anywhere else. And it was one of the best memories for me playing in, in the Coliseum. It's just too bad that they couldn't work it out. Uh, um, obviously, the ownership, uh, uh, I don't know if they're, they're showing enough things to, to stay in Oakland, but it's, it's kind of sad for me because it was the first baseball field that I played when I came up. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip.
1: Hi, checking in for...
2: Or the perfect
0: table.
1: Hey, where are you? Coming! Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: And how do you think Vegas is going to do if this actually happens? I mean, I would think guys coming into Vegas on the road, that might be a big home field advantage for the, for the athletics there because uh, you, know, you go to Vegas on a road trip there. How do you, how do you think that's going to work out?
2: Well, I don't know. Um, I'm I'm sure everything is done here by numbers analytics, just like in baseball. So if they have the numbers and they see, they can go work it out. Go ahead. Uh, I think it's going to be a tough uh, situation for them. Uh, there is a lot of things to do in Vegas. Everybody knows what Vegas is famous for. And uh, I hope that they can back up baseball as well as they has been backing up the triple A team they have right now. Uh, i did play there uh in, in that ballpark also and i think people respond they have good crowds and i hope uh they can have a good success there
3: yeah now uh, let's go you you, you want a bunch of gold gloves when you're you're playing all with the uh, the Indians all these different teams here uh, is, is there anyone you watch today in baseball i think of you and some of those guys before you as maybe I'm biased i think those guys were better you were better than some of the guys today who's the top <laughs> defensive shortstop uh, in today's game, is there anyone that pops into your head here that you watch that kind of reminds you of the guys that you played with and yourself?
2: Well, I really love watching the guy from Detroit, uh, Javi Baez. Uh, I think he made some amazing plays when he played the position. He can play everything around the infield, but he makes an amazing plays in there. I like Lindor also with the Mets. Uh, There is a guy that came from Cleveland, and I also watch him uh, for for a lot of games. Uh, Tria Turner is a great shortstop. It's just a pleasure to watch that guy taking ground balls, playing the game the right way. And uh, I think the other guy is the guy from Pittsburgh. Um, I forgot his name right now, but he seems to be a pretty good shortstop. And, wow, there's a lot of talent in the big league nowadays. Every time you, you watch a game, you see uh, a great prospect that came up that you didn't have any idea the kind of tools they have, but uh, really enjoying watching the game nowadays.
3: Yeah. Now, who taught you? Did you teach yourself how to play shortstop that well, or did, did was it a coach? Was it somebody, uh, another player? How did you learn – to be so smooth at shortstop when you were playing?
2: I think it was a combination. You know, my dad was a big fan of the game. Every time that I was playing in Little League games, he kind of correct me things uh, that, that he see uh, that I was doing wrong. And also the coaches that I have on my Little League teams were pretty good. Uh, I like to listen a lot. I like to take a lot of advices. And I think that's when uh, I get to uh, single A, double A. I, I, I got a lot of success on fielding the ball, making the plays. Uh, I felt very confident about all the planes that I was making. And that's what that's what it was the key for me.
3: Now, I understand, Omar, you're going to be in Miami coming up here soon. Uh, you know, next week, I believe it is to honor M- Miguel Cabrera, uh, who you obviously know very well. Uh, tell me yes. about that. Tell me about that. Uh, that event. And yeah, you know, you're going to be at a Marlins uh, game there with the Tigers. And uh, tell me about that.
2: Yeah, it's coming up in July 29th. Uh, There is a retirement party or uh, uh, a day for all the Venezuelan people that live in the Miami area. And obviously, it's going to be in honor of Miguel Cabrera, one of the best baseball players that uh, has been from my country, from Venezuela. And I think everybody should go there and honor this guy because the the career that he has, uh, I don't think that you can see that very often. This guy... uh, He's a master with the bat. He's a triple crown winner. And uh, he was really uh, the guy that everybody followed when when, still following. And uh, all these young guys uh, like to talk about great hitters. And always Miguel Cabrera came up. So it is an honor for me to be there. And obviously inviting all my my fellow teammates and, and friends to go and support Miguel on that day.
3: What, what is it like, Omar, when you go back to Venezuela there with the career you had and, and they love baseball and whatnot? Uh, they roll out the red carpet when you go back there. What's, what's it like? It's,
2: it's crazy, man. It's crazy. You can't even go to the bathroom because uh, they take it that as an excuse and they follow you around and they want a picture with you anywhere. And, uh, you know, it's just part, part of the game. And uh, I love it because they, they recognize you all the time and they love uh, talking about baseball. It's an amazing man. It's it's a great uh, uh place to be.
3: You're like a rock star there, right? I mean, everyone loves you there. It's amazing. Uh, yeah,
2: we are. We are the Mick Jagger in the
3: street. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 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 All right. So, uh, why don't we get out on this, Omar? The Hall of Fame. You had longevity, defense, the sacrifice. Can you make a pitch? Uh, to anyone that might hear this who's a, a quasi-Hall of Fame voter there, can you make your pitch for the Baseball Hall of Fame? Why should you be in?
2: Well, I I don't know. Um, I don't know if I can make a pitch, but I tell you this. I played the game with a lot of respect. I played the game for a long time because of a reason. Uh, I, I was a good teammate to everybody. I like to spread the words or, 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 or good baseball, how to play the game the right way. And I think that I have enough numbers to compete with the guys that are there right now. Obviously, it's not up to me anymore. I did all, everything that I could. And I hope the voters can take a look at the numbers and say, wow, this guy really have a great career. I think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame.
3: But uh, you're in the, the Cleveland Indians slash Guardians Hall of Fame. Are you, You've you got to be in some other – I mean, you probably picked up a bunch of awards, right? So it's uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame is great, but you've picked up a number of honors, right, Omar?
2: Yeah, but I think the Hall of Fame of baseball in Cooperstown is the cream of the cream. That's where all the best players are. And I think that, uh, you know, when you play the, the game of baseball, you want to be in the top. You want to be with the best. And I think it is a great place to be. And uh, I have the opportunity. I, I'm still there. And uh, I, I think uh, I, I, of course, I want to be there.
3: Absolutely. All right. Well, hopefully, hopefully you'll, you'll get it. And, uh, uh, we thank you every time. Anything else you want to promote, Omar? Anything you got coming up here people should know about?
2: Well, you, uh, we talk a little bit about everything. So thank you for the opportunity. We're going to be the 29th, July 29th in, in the uh, Marlins Park in Miami. And uh, thank you for talking to me. And uh, hopefully, we can speak some more later on.
3: Absolutely. Thank you, Omar. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, Omar. Thank you,
2: sir, very much.